What are you two talking about? Oh, nothing. Just the end of the world. Welcome to Who Pods the Watchmen. I'm Grant, and alongside me is... Clay. And we are here to be your spirit guides, taking you along on a journey to discuss the Watchmen in all of its entirety. That means that we are anticipating very eagerly the upcoming show on HBO, and we would like to be your companion podcast for that. But as well, we want to do a, a catch-up and a deep-dive dissection of all of the other Watchmen-related shows or um, comics and uh, movies that have taken place. And we are starting off our new fresh podcast by diving into the Watchmen comic book. Yeah, so you know, if you like comics, sweet. If you have this empty space in your heart now that Game of Thrones is over and you're not into Euphoria or... I think I've seen that. I don't actually know. But, you know, if you're looking for your next fix and it, you think it's going to be The Watchmen, then here you go. I think you're in the right place. Man, have you watched any of Euphoria? I haven't. I hear I hear it's a tough watch. I hear it's pretty intense. It is. Yeah. It's it's tough. And then after a while, it, it starts to become a little bit absurd. You're like, all right. Is it no, like, no high school kids go through this much drama. Is it like <laughs> Brett Easton Ellis, like Rich Kids LA, and they're just kind of acting out? Uh, Yeah, except for the, like... The simply rich kids. It's like just substance abuse and physical abuse, and you know, between all of them, and and dealing with a lot of a lot of hard shit. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, speaking of that, this issue is a little bit uh, a little <laughs> it, bit similar. Nice lead in. It does. It's very applicable, uh, folks. This week we are going to be talking about chapter six, uh, "The Abyss Gazes Back." I think is the title, or something to that effect. That's right. And this is the one that goes, gazes also. I'm sorry. Oh, gazes also. Whatever. Uh, this is the one that goes into the backstory of Rorschach, aka Walter Kovacs. So we're going to be talking about that. The, our, our good buddy Walter got arrested. He got put in jail, and as as such, he's um, being interviewed by a psycho uh, a psychotherapist. Yeah, and he's trying to get to the bottom of like what makes him tick, and so this is yeah the backstory. Yeah, this is kind of pretty similar to I think two or three issues ago with Doctor Manhattan, but this is doing the same thing for Warshak. Uh, I think you mentioned on the way up here into the studio though that we might have a few listener questions. Did we want to do those now? Yeah, I think that'd be best. I think we we'll go ahead and do that. Uh, yeah, I just want to give you guys a little preview of what we're going to be discussing, so uh, you guys can pull out your old comic book. You can dust it off and give it a little gander before we dive into that. But first, we asked for some questions from our fans over on Instagram, and we got a couple, so that's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Wanted to go ahead and answer a few of these. What about anything from Swole's Doc or? Uh, no, these are Russell. all actually new new people, new questions. Uh, first up, Derek Dombrowski says, not a question, but you guys are awesome. Wow. That's really cool. So this is your burner account? <laughs> this, this is my... I mean, I'm not even mad. I'll take it. I want to prop us up. You know, I want to make us feel good. Yeah. No, thank you so much, Derek. We appreciate that. Um, Knight J, or Hi, J-A-I, I'm not sure which way we're going to pronounce that, says, what do you think... Oh, what do you think Angela Abraham's superhero name should be? Now, Clay, I'm sure you don't really know what's going on here because you haven't watched the trailer for the upcoming show. 
Um, Why don't you watch the trailer? You know, it's just the same thing as if I go on vacation, I don't even really look at photos. I just like to see it for the first time. Just want, whenever I'm there. You want the fresh experience. I like the immediacy of it. Yeah, I don't need to – I want to kind of live in the moment and just appreciate it. And I don't want to start thinking about it too soon or get too excited and then you know have to wait. So I just kind of try to live and then when it comes along, it comes along. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Uh, OK. So for my part, I do watch these things and I obsess and then I want to theorize a bunch. Uh, Angela Abraham is played by Regina King. She seems like she's going to be the lead protagonist in this movie and she's playing a Tulsa PD cop. By day, who also moonlights as a vigilante hero by night. And it seems like there's some religious iconography that she uses. She wears a a black cape. She paints the top half of her face black and wears a half, a lower half mask. Um, and I don't know what to fully make of, of like what her character is, but it does seem like Damon Lindelof loves religious iconography. He loves delving into those themes. And there's there's a moment in one of the trailers where she very specifically picks up a rosary and, like, stuffs that into her cloak that she's wearing when she goes out to fight crime. And that as well as her police badge. So, And we also see that she seems... She she's talking to a little girl in this most recent trailer, and she's saying, "Hey, the world isn't all about rainbows. In fact, the older you get, you realize that things are black and white," which seems very Rorschachian, actually. Like this idea that you can there's no gr- room for gray; that everything is in stark contrast. There is a good and a bad is kind of fascinating. I heard a theory. I don't know what her name should be necessarily, but I heard a theory that. What if she was going to be the next hooded justice? In fact, I think someone commented that on our Instagram. And I thought, oh, man, if she's carrying on the mantle of hooded justice, that's kind of fascinating. Hooded justice, you might recall, Clay, is the guy from the Minutemen. He's the one who wears the hood with a uh, noose or around his neck. Right, right, right. The red shorts. Looks kind of like a wrestler, like a little bit of like a luchador. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, not even, you know. I'm coming at this with not much to say, so there's not much value out here. But with the rosary and everything, obviously we've discussed belief structures. I think we've talked about that a couple times in the last few weeks. Right. And obviously there's so much fodder for that character interaction and but her kind last of personal name, growth. Abraham, I'm like, that's also very biblical. Boom. Yeah. So I don't know. Low hanging fruit. He's, yeah. h- he's hitting the high notes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's go to our next question. This comes from Night Owl 2. Uh, also on Instagram, it says, if you could make a change to the Watchmen graphic novel, what would it be? Oh, man. That's tough. Because, I mean, I, I feel like I'm sitting here, like, praising a lot of things. And it's not like I want to have atomic bombs instead of a squid or something weird. Um, what do you what, – what's, like, a thing you want to – like, going through this right now, because it's been a long time since you've visited this material – yeah, good question. You know, and I think this is almost like locked away in a vault. You know, I don't know if this is really app for um for remaking it. Obviously they're remaking they're not even remaking it. You know, I mean I learned from you last week that the HBO show is actually just gonna be like thirty or forty years in the future, right? Yeah. So they're picking up. So it's almost like a, a, a can- canonical sequel or whatever. So it's tough. You know, I mean I think I've told you multiple times I don't love this art style. But looking at it now, I've kind of accepted it, and it's it's kind of you know. Is so, it warming up on you a little bit? Not necessarily. It's just when <laughs> I when I think about this book, I associate it 
with this art style. So if it was written like, I mean, there's so many more things I think I like better, but would it improve the quality of the read? Would it improve my reading experience? I don't think so. I think this is what it is and I can appreciate it for what it did for the for the medium and everything like that. What – you know, maybe uh, – OK. I got one for you and this is, this is pretty dumb. OK. What about better covers? What if we had some sweet like James Jean fable-styled covers? Because the covers, at least in the book I'm reading, are these kind of like – I mean I think they're kind of boring clocks and everything like that. Yeah. Uh, Very sparse. Not much there. I want, would love a sweet, sweet cover. Uh, you want some foil action? Uh, some variants? Oh, give me like an Age of Apocalypse foil variant. <laughs> oh, <go>. yeah, baby. <laughs> now you're t- – yeah, yeah. Seventh grade me is excited now. I can see that. No, I mean I think – yeah, for me, I, I can't really change much. Even though I don't love it, I accept it. So for me, one of the elements that I think I would change I've, – I've complained a little bit about the over-cleverness of some of the writing, the wink and nod between uh, – I feel like the high-fiving between Gibbons and Moore of like, oh, yeah, we'll have this transition and I'll draw this picture that will go along with you saying this and that and like how the stories are paralleling. It's just a little bit too heavy-handed that I'm like, uh, let's ease back on that. And that's not a huge complaint, and I, I feel that's a little bit more like I would have to go in editorially and be like, this just doesn't fit Grant's sensibilities. Yeah, exactly. It's not that it's wrong. It's just that – I mean because there are so many cliches, right? Like we were talking yeah. about kind of the gumshoe detective type thing, the Dick Tracy dialogue, and then you know using the parallel Black Freighter or whatever comic book. It, it, it all just kind of uh, – I don't know. I don't know. There's strong flavors in this book, you know? Yeah, sometimes a wink and either like I get it. It's a little bit much. Uh, all right, next question comes to us from Gayatri Sahu, nineteen ninety nine. During the prison riot, when the fat guy's hand gets chopped, does he die or faint? If he dies, how? Now we haven't actually gotten to the prison riot, so uh, I feel like we need to put a a, a pin in this one. And revisit it when we are talking about this particular scene. Because right now we're still with Rorschach in prison, like, you know, going into his past. So you're telling me there's a prison riot? There's going to be a prison riot. You wow. don't, man, you don't remember a lot of this. That's no. A, you don't remember anything. Okay. I don't remember what we had for lunch today. <laughs> Fair. Um, okay. The last question comes to us from Fletch Matt 5 who says, who's your favorite Watchmen character? That's interesting. Who is your favorite you have to pick one. <laughs> I think it's the psycho, this, this therapist here. The therapist? I think is it's got to be the therapist. Oh, he's awful. Or maybe his wife. Yeah. She's the one who has oh, wait, to put up Oh, wait, did you say least favorite? No, who's your favorite? Oh, okay. That's a horse of a different color. Yeah, yeah. Who's your favorite character in The Watchmen? Uh, because I'm thinking, like, you know, of, the, of our main protagonists, Night Owl, at is, least. Is that like, the guy that's been friend zoned? Yeah. yeah. You you got to feel for him, for sure. You got to feel for I him. I kind of actually like Night Owl 1 a bit more than Night Owl 2. Hollis Mason, the guy of the oh, glory yeah. days who yeah. just like wants to tinker with cars and yeah. Know, he's he's on the way out and he's just kind of content with everything. He he did his part, he gave it a shot. He left relatively unscathed from a lot of the drama. I I think I like the comedian. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, for me, honestly, uh, it's Rorschach. I, I really, I, I think, 
I listened for about 10 or 15 minutes before I joined you uh, a couple weeks ago just to hear how this was going. And I think y'all both were pretty unhappy with this guy for good reason. There are some problems with him. But I just think – Well, you he, don't have to think someone's a good guy for them to be your favorite. No, that you're right. But I guess right? I, I honestly feel for him. And I think like a lot of what he does – and we'll talk about this because the whole issue is about him – but uh, I think a lot of what he does is understandable to me. Not that I'd go out and do it, but I'm like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. You know? Right. He has, he has a very clear path to how he got to be so fucked up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I generally just kind of bitch about him being a bit of a one-man army fascist that seems a little bit kind of fucked up. <laughs> yeah, right. And he's... He's, he's he's judge and jury in a way that maybe he's not the most well-equipped to be such a person. But we can go ahead and get into that. Do you want to go ahead and dive in? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think you gave everybody a little bit of a summary. You know, go ahead. No, no, no. No, no. Go. Well, this, this issue is interesting. Uh, like we said, it is kind of a reflection, reflective episode, uh, issue. I keep saying episode. Uh, issue kind of like the Dr. Manhattan one from, I think, issue four. Uh, this one just looks at Rorschach, though. It goes back to his childhood. Obviously, at the end of the last issue, he was arrested. He was set up. He was framed. And uh, I don't know if he was necessarily framed, but he was set up. He was set up. Yeah, he was set up, arrested. So now he's in jail. He must be doing some court-mandated therapy or something like that. Um, maybe the defense team has a therapist in there because they're trying to get him some type of insanity plea. I'm not sure. But either way, he's talking to a therapist, and with that – his story kind of unravels and he he revisits his childhood and how he kind of became uh, Rorschach from uh, pretty meager beginnings. Right. You mentioned uh, when we had the question about what we would change about the comic book that you don't like the covers. And for me, I really do appreciate how powerful and evocative they are for the minimalism that's going on in them. And I'm just so impressed. Like with this particular cover here, we have this Rorschach inkblot that is the first test that this Dr. Malcolm Long gives to Rorschach. I guess we should distinguish. It's Rorschach he's talking to now because it's the present. Um, and he's he's giving him this inkblot. And it looks like a butterfly. And that's the first thing that Rorschach says. Like it looks like a pretty butterfly, and I think like there's a basic outline of it that when he says "pretty butterfly," I'm like, yeah, okay, I get how that has the outline of a butterfly, right? Um, what we also see there's these these bands of of white and red, kind of candy striping it, and I wasn't sure what that was at first, but then when we look at how the scene plays out, and once again, it's a it's a something zoomed in, and then it's zooming out from it. For the first three panels, kind of like in the very first uh, page of the comic series. Yeah, yeah, he does, that, he does that a lot. Uh, what he realized is what's going on is there's bands of light from the window streaming across. And there seems to be this, like, the light is illuminating the individual there. Like, am I reading it in this too much? But I, I feel like it it all seems like it's really thought out. Like, No, you be you. You know, I think uh, – actually, I did some online research though before before joining you this evening. Oh, yeah? And he actually was kind of up against the clock. He forgot to do a cover. And so then he just took the first panel and blew Are it up. Are you just – you're bullshitting Yeah, me. yeah. I just made that up. <laughs> no, I mean, look. I mean, yeah, we could say artistically, OK, there are bars between them indicating that they're never going to connect this therapist and Rorschach, et cetera, et cetera. Just, you're, I mean, possibly. Either way, it's a nice image even if it is light because it shows you that they're in a room. It's pretty sterile and light's coming in from somewhere else and I bet he would rather be outside than in. 
Right, right. But, but at one point, in fact, the doctor says, oh, how's it going? He's like, still in prison. Right. Yeah, that's your answer. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Except for I, I imagine that he just talks in just monotone. Still in prison. Yeah. Like, kind of like Sling Blade. Exactly. I like mm, that. Still in prison. Mm. <laughs> exactly. Has some mashed taters. Yeah. Right, right. All right, so let's go ahead and talk about what we what 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 Rorschach is going through here because yeah. we have two different people. We have Walter Kovacs and we have Rorschach. And if you take what he's saying to be accurate and not just like I mean, it seems like he's is a, a genuine multiple personality, but he's honest. Split. But he's honest. Yeah. Yeah. He is now this other person. He's no longer who was Walter Kovacs. That person's dead and gone ever since the incident with the butchering of the dogs and discovering, you know, the the kid had been burned to death. Um, So he has changed. He's evolved. And also, once again, going back to this butterfly on the cover, it is a metamorphosis because when with butterflies, they go from a caterpillar to liquid goo. The chrysalis. The chrysalis before they become a butterfly. It's not like... It's not like a, a Pokemon of evolution where they get a little bit more fur and they're like or whatever. You've lost, you, you, yeah, you, <laughs> I should not you lost Pokemon. me. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. It just seems like an immediate uh, evolution that we see. It's not like uh, what's an animal that like just like obviously like grows and levels up like like hu- like humans. Human. It's like, yeah, humans. Okay. <laughs> it's not that. a baby going into an adult. <laughs> I'm like, it's not a Pokemon. That's the only thing I can relate to. Right. Yeah. Now. It's not an RPG character, like, leveling up. I just mean, like, he is a new person. There was a cleavage in between the two personalities. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. A, a butcher's knife to a dog's head. Cleavage. Yeah, that's tough to think about. That's really fucked up. Yeah, but, I mean, at the same time, I mean, I think, as you know, I'm an animal lover. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, I, I added your bio to the website. I, uh, I wrote that you have a dog, a cat. A rabbit and five chickens. Yeah, all true, all true statements. Yeah, I definitely do, and and I think you're right that there, there's, I mean, but there is similarity between the two characters. He sees himself that way, and that's when I think he finally let go. And I really think this podcast is going to be interesting, at least chatting with you and getting your perspective, because in the in the Doctor Manhattan issue that looked that looked at his hor- uh, backstory mm-hmm. in history, you know, there was stuff going on like that mattered for the current environment you know and what's going forward here this is more just kind of an explanation we don't actually ever really need this so for me it's almost just let's talk about a psyche and let's talk about what's going on and what would break you know i, I don't know this maybe that's dumb but i'm like what would break you is, is what he is what he turned into understandable why did he do it i think that's really what we're talking about here yeah i think you're right in a way it's a bottle episode in a way it's it's a a deeper it's a deep dive into the psychology behind why one becomes a superhero um, and how that can be problematic. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And then also we're defining what a superhero is if he's, if he's a superhero. Exactly. Right? I mean, obviously it's an extra – it's like extra legal judician or something, right? I mean, he's acting outside the law and – not judician, juridician, jur- whatever. He's acting outside the law. And Jurisdiction? Who, and, and actually, you know what? Speaking of that, that's really funny because he uh, – right after he becomes Rorschach – he lays that guy out who is spray painting who watches the Watchmen. 
Yeah. So he's not beholden to anyone at this moment. That guy wasn't necessarily even a bad dude. I mean, maybe he was doing some graffiti, right? Mm-hmm. But that that's probably it. He was actually kind of a freedom fighter if we think about it, right? He's asking the questions that should be asked and Rorschach isn't having it. So – yeah, in fact, that that happens twice. Uh, how he views the people doing graffiti, and those people are the ones trying to call out and yeah, like you're saying, hold hold to account the people in a position of power. Whether, They're trying to say, hey, the rest of society, whether it's United States government, Russian government, or Soviet government, whatever, and the superheroes, right? I mean, they had like the Hiroshima things as well, yeah. which, which, which I think plays a big hand here. So, you know, you mentioned Rorschach's view of, of the people with graffiti. I think to the heart of this and what I want to hear from you is what do you think his view on New York City or humanity or, or what? I mean obviously he, he puts it out there for us. But how do you think he sees the world and is it, is it understandable to you? I think he's relatively a nihilist and it's very fitting with the end quote being from Nietzsche here, right? That he just thinks that everything is – Everything is lost. There is meaningless in the universe. And the only thing that he wants to do is be a force that enacts his own view of justice. Yeah. It it isn't for the law. It isn't for society itself because fuck society. It's for his own personal gratification that he feels morally vindicated, I guess. I don't know because he doesn't even really seem to like buy into any morals that the rest of society buys into necessarily. He's dictating his own path. Yeah, but he does see himself as doing the right thing like a lot of these guys are and that's part of the problem. Right. Because he's going to act so far to uh, to validate his viewpoint and to act on it. But I mean, you know – I, I just love the – I love the title here, The Abyss Gazes Also. Obviously, mm-hmm. this is a guy who's looked into the abyss. He's realized that there are no you – know, at least in his view, there is no God, right? Mm-hmm. There is nothing guiding us except for ourselves. And so we're responsible for everything, the good, the bad, and we're to blame for it. And so he's going to get revenge on those who manipulate that or maltreat that, right? Yeah. And you know, when you think about it's, – it's just a question we've all faced. You know, at some point, if you have a crisis of faith or you get to a certain age, you know, I know you always make fun of me because I always, I always quote my age here. But as a 36-year-old, after a while, you know, you, you go to work, you, you do the same thing day in, day out. You start to look at it like, what's it all mean, right? If you have a family, it means taking care of your family. Right. But then you can take it one step farther and, you know, sorry about this, but it's like, well, one day I'm going to be dead and my family's going to be dead, right? And there's that like I think there's a, I think there's a great modest mouse you know there's some modest mouse lyrics or something like that a song about that right or or, or something, and I'm sure there's a song out there. Yeah, there, there's probably a song about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, or there's that dinosaur kids book like all my friends are dead or something right a poor little <laughs> T Rex or oh, I think he's a brontosaurus. It's a brano. Yeah, what a cutie pie. No, you know, and it's like you think about that, right? And then there's a, there's a similarity there where people talk about the hologram theory, how this is all fake and this is a computer program, a simulation, etc. Right. Mm-hmm. And then when I was reading this, and I don't know if you thought the same thing, but if you – and I actually brought it here. But if you look at the Tao Te Ching, right, by Lao Tzu, I don't know. I don't really know how to pronounce the name. I'm sorry. But uh, – <laughs> I, I accept your apology. Yeah, I'm pre- I mean everyone. I'm pretty sure people – you know, it's always spelled with a T, T-A-O-T-E and C-H-I-N-G. But I always think it's like more of a D. But they talk about this. He says, heaven and earth are not kind. The 10,000 things are straw dogs to them. Sages are not kind. People are straw dogs to them. Talking about the gods don't care about us. 
We're right. straw dogs. We're straw figurines and they can blow they, – they can just blow us just like the wind would blow straw on the ground or trash on the ground. So I really think he looked into something like that and it's kind of like how you react to it. So some people with the hologram theory or whatever or they would realize that we're all going to be dead one day. They would look at it and then they would become kind of like him, not caring or just kind of seeing all the negatives. And then others might think, well – if that's the case, I'm still going to do what I want because I want to be happy with myself. And so then that might mean helping others or, or yeah. making yourself happy. Some people find that absolutely freeing, in fact. I, I it's definitely like, do. It's like, oh, I'm not beholden to these ideas of, of guilt guilt and, and fear of, of repercussion. Um, that's not – so if I do something good, that's just genuinely coming from me. That's not coming from uh, a need to – Appease, right, or, or or receive a reward in afterlife or whatever else, right? Yeah. So it's just being good because that's what one should be. Yeah, exactly. And I think the problem is here with his upbringing, he just sees darkness. Well, I, that's that's not uncommon. I think there's a lot of people who absolutely have that fear, or and they have that belief uh, about like atheism, like the right. pe- people that are really religious will have that belief that oh, if you don't have God. Then what keeps you from being bad? And you're, and, and you're lost. You have nothing to hold on to. And Rorschach's, I guess, their example of yeah. someone who who doesn't have that and loses everything, loses all perspective. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, for for Rorschach, this is a comic book example. Yeah, you know, it's 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 pretty trippy. You know, I remember when I was in the Peace Corps. There's no artificial light, obviously, in the village I was in, and on nights that were moonless, and maybe there was some cloud cover, so there were no stars. You would wake up. And your eyes wouldn't adjust. There was no light for your eyes to adjust to. So you would sit there and you would see things. You would see shapes. You would see these dark purples and these different hues, these bruises in the dark. And you would sit there and for 30 seconds, a minute, trying to find yourself. And you'd be lost. And you finally have to find a, a, a flashlight or a cell phone or something like that and just turn it on so you could have some light. And I kind of feel like that's him. I mean, maybe I'm seeing it. Maybe I, I just flash back to those thoughts, and it would be it would be so frightening waking up like that because you're a grown person and you know and you know you're safe, but you just don't know where you are. And for two or three minutes, you can't find anything. You can't even you don't know where the floors or where walls are, or, or you forget where you are totally. And I feel like that's him. I think every day he's going through that, and he's trying to find himself in the dark, and there's nothing to see. Well, you know? he absolutely snapped. Yeah, right. He he recognizes that he snapped, and a different person emerged, but. This has been a personality that's lied dormant in, in him for quite a while. I mean, he's a product of abuse. He goes into his backstory. His mom was a prostitute who would viciously beat him. He's apparently, like, scarred and disfigured, despite the artist's, like, rendition of him, which, like, the the, the therapist is like, he's, like, one of the ugliest people, but I can't uh, stop looking at him. And yeah, I may- look at this person, I'm like, he's not really ugly maybe, in the picture. Maybe we're ugly. And, you know, but I don't know. He looks like a normal guy. In a way that made me more judge the therapist and maybe I'm supposed to? Yeah, Start judging absolutely. the therapist as being like a well, wrongly judgmental. honky-dory and just seeing the superficial. Yeah, right? yeah Seeing yeah. the surface level thing. And, and his whole job is to not do that, but that's what he does. Yeah, but he also, you know, we, we see Rorschach have all this pain, all this tragedy, and then he comes across this – a uh, piece of cloth, this magic piece of um, latex cloth that has this ink that 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 makes his mask. And I think it was designed by Doctor Manhattan. It it definitely was from his labs or something. Yeah, like this, which right? is pretty wild. 
Right. Um, and that's what's – I think it's interesting that, A, his origin is in a way tied to Dr. Manhattan. But also that cloth meant something to him even before he forged it into a mask. It, it seemed to be a little bit of a tie to him be making something of himself and learning his own trade, his own craft because he takes that home with him and no one else wanted this. And this well, look. Is, Let's a piece see. of cloth that, cloth that he like learned how to craft himself, how and, to sew. And why does he think it's beautiful? He says it's because the black stays black no matter where it goes and the white stays white and never the two shall mix. Yeah. So in his life, he's had such a hard go that seeing the gray and navigating those social, cha- those social channels right, mm-hmm. is too difficult. So he needs to establish who he is in a really narrow, strict way. Absolutely needs stick, firm boundaries. And stick to it. Yes. And that's what he loved. And so now – they talk about him being the most isolated man in the world. He's in he's in prison now. The jailers hate him. The cops hate him. Uh, you know, the whole police department hate, hates him. And then he's put a lot of these guys in jail. So the people in prison hate him as well. And he likes it. That's his whole thing. Is he wants the black to stay in the black and the white to stay in the white, and never the two shall mix. So yeah, obviously, I think he did see something in that that, that he responded to. He's hugely racist. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but no, seriously, he. He also has this mask that he tells the origin story of that mask being tied to this girl, Kitty Genovese. And she was – they reference a very famous case, in fact, uh, that I've, I've heard talked about in like all – Psych 101. Yeah, Psych 101 classes of this woman who got attacked, maybe even raped and murdered out in public and everyone was, like heard her screams but everyone thought someone else would – Call the cops, and this is this um, idea of sharing, um, sharing blame, and sharing responsibility. Yeah, like none of us will step or, up, or, or not sharing, but shifting. Um, what what we've learned since then, and even a little bit more recently, is that people who've investigated this have found that that's not entirely true. Did you know about this? Like that whole case, there were people that did try to call the cops. There were people that tried to interfere and stop and help the victim, and all of that. And the cops tried to – the cops felt like they were being attacked for their failure to follow up and figure out – solve the crime. So they tried to start blaming the community. And there's a lot of documentation about this. Hold the phone. Yeah. So Santa Claus isn't real? It's – Yeah. I, no, I mean just – I just – I think that's ludicrous that, that 40 people or 50 people would look out their window and see that. I think there there had to have been – I think most of those those scientific psych studies in the, from the 50s have been debunked. Yeah. Right? The, I mean we look at the Stanford prison experiment and things like that. I mean it's been debunked. It's it's a cool story and it creates fodder for for, <laughs> for media and for, for fiction. But, but his origin story is based on that bunk. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's kind of – it's really also neat to me that he – has that she is um she's killed and that is the trigger for him just like later he has another trigger when he sees the other person fall victim and that's when he fully falls into Rorschach but this was already a trigger for him to want to hide behind the mask and become a, a vigilante hero right but do you think that's actually why you know i mean because we see him going towards that but he says that he wasn't Rorschach until a certain time. But obviously, like you said, he has it inside of him. Maybe it's Kitty. Maybe it's the girl later. But what really started – like what started him on that path do you think? 
to wanting to to strike out and be the the person wearing the mask or comp- no just completely losing touch with not necessarily reality but to other human beings uh i think that he was already emotionally detached like his his relationship with his mom she just kind of berates him and treats him like he's an idiot and her johns also would hit him and treat him like he's an idiot. And, and say that he should have had an abortion or she should have had an abortion. Right. right. Yeah. And we find that when he wants to, he's remarkably eloquent. Yeah. And re- real quick, you know, what's unfortunate is that I think his mom was doing all the right things. I mean, we see now in schools, there's like take your children to work day. <laughs> no, so, no. When, she, when he walks in on her – you know, making money, albeit by having sex with with strangers. Yeah, yeah. She was teach. I mean, she was she's getting him started in a trade. Am, <laughs> am I crazy? <laughs> That's empowering. Yeah, right? let's 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 edit that out. No, but <laughs> but I just think that you know there is a difference between beating up you know these thugs and people that are doing something to him, uh, which you know actually like when I see when I saw him putting the cigarette in that kid's eye and then biting his face, I'm like, yeah, you know. Uh, that's not what I would have done, but I kind of wish sometimes, you know, you kind of wish you would have done something like that to bullies, right? When you're a kid. Right. And I, so I, I guess I mean to say I was kind of on board with them the whole time. And then I saw him take a cleaver to the dogs. And, you know, even that I'm not judging him because I know he's lost something, you know, and he is lost, but it was kind of, a, it was kind of something where obviously there's no turning back from that, Right. I mean that that was the moment. He took a cleaver and with that there's cleavage between the, the previous – the former him and now the new guy, Rorschach. And you said this guy's your favorite character. Yeah. He really is. I mean – He just murdered some dogs. No, and that's awful. But, you know, I mean none of us – look, again, I, I don't, I don't want to be his buddy. I don't You're not do condoning his behavior. He's just the most fascinating. I'm not even – I'm not even not condoning it. OK. <laughs> have, you, have you ever been so stressed out? That you've done something out of character and you think, damn, I really need to take a breath. You know what I mean? I think we've all done that. There's, no, there's no room for Gray. This is, he's he's yeah. a strict believer. I mean, he's, he obviously I'm, – I'm stretching that to him taking cleaver to dogs. But I think he's so, he's so sick of humanity and so sick of this violence and everything. And then he, when he looks out the window and he sees that these dogs are chewing this girl's bones, he's just done. He, right. he, he's so done with people at that time and he just wants to lash out you know, and that's what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, he he disconnected from everything for a while. Like the parallels you were already mentioning between him and uh, Doctor Manhattan, there's there's a lot like that's going on there with both of them just looking at humanity and going, nah. I'm, but I'm what's crazy? What's crazy is is that is that uh, Doctor Manhattan looks like a snowflake now. I mean, he goes to Mars whenever a few people make fun of him on a talk show. <laughs> That's when he loses it, and Rorschach loses it when he sees dogs eating a little girl's body. Well, I think he's a real one. Rorschach's a real one. Doctor Manhattan, I don't know. Doctor Manhattan's a man out of time, like constantly. Like he can't seem to focus because he's remembering everything from the past and the present at the same time. It's unclear whether or not he can actually see the future, or if he's like putting on airs there. I'm still unsure on Doctor Manhattan seeing the future. He could be so smart that he sees probabilities. You right. Know what I mean, yeah. Right. He's running simulations or whatever. But yeah. that, then he's he's no different than Ozymandias, I would say. Like who can also like just kind of see the outline. Or or the comedian. I don't even know if Ozymandias – I mean I don't – you keep talking about this guy. I haven't seen it. But I mean – The, the comedian know. also is another person who 
says that like he sees the bleakness, the big joke of everything. It, nothing makes sense until he sees something on a mysterious island, which you don't know what this is. And then he's like, even that's beyond what's funny to him about humanity. No, so, you know what? I think you just brought something up. I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt, but like with all these characters, right? If nothing matters, if nothing matters, either what do you do or what matters? And with Dr. Manhattan, nothing matters. Then science and structure, right? That mm-hmm. matters to him. With Rorschach, nothing matters. Then he has a mandate for at least getting getting even with people or trying to police bad behavior because he hates humanity. He has to operate on his own code. Right. With, uh, with Dr. Manhattan's girlfriend. What was her name? Uh, Lori. Which one? Lori. Oh, Silk Spectre? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Nothing matters. He's gone. Her whole like you know she's been living with him, and now that that's that that's done, and she gets kicked out of this government facility. What matters? Well, maybe your friendship. You know, she lives with uh, the owl dude. That's uh, what's his name? Dan. Dan. She's living with Dan. So at least you know that friendship matters. So it's kind of like whenever all that stuff falls apart, you got to pick up the pieces. Who are you, and what do you do? And I think with Rorschach, we have a pretty clear answer. And that's why I thought this issue was, you know, when, after I read this, I thought, man, what are we going to talk about? Because it's fascinating, but it's kind of like, you know, black and white for for lack of a better term. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. It's it's curious because I think that some people are picking themselves up and forging a new path when they they hit this point. It's It's almost like. Having a midlife crisis. Like, it's like, what's going on with all these people? What happens when a superhero has a midlife crisis? Like, you, we're used to superhero stories that have that, that steadfast hero who will always see right from wrong and never waver. The, the Captain America or the Superman. What about, what about Thor? When he, when he gains a good 30, 40 pounds. Thor, he goes through some growing pains. (laughs) <laughs> Literally. Literally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> His sweatpants go through some growing pains. Yeah. But he also – he has to kind of reassess what matters, right? Like Thor, he – Oh, no, remember I'm not done. I'm not done with the – I'm not done with, oh. the, okay. with the latest movie. Yeah, okay. So, I mean <laughs> – you You watched half of Endgame and you stopped to come over here and like chat about Watchmen? That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm committed. Uh, okay. I want to I wanna point out some particular panels to you. Yeah, please. Yeah. When – Rorschach first gets the dress, his precious dress, that no, his unloved doll that he takes home and it's, he's going to nurture and it's going to become his own skin eventually, his own face. He holds it up and it very specifically looks like a frowny face, which I thought was interesting. It's this unloved thing that he sees, he sees and he's judging. He's saying it's, he's like, no, wait, this isn't ugly, despite it putting on a, a sad, ugly face. Um, there's something beautiful inside of this and very, very beautiful, he says. And A, isn't that a, in a way a bit of a reflection of him? There's something beautiful inside of Rorschach or inside of Walter Kovacs, but his exterior is ugly or the first impression of this man is ugly. Well, that's something that I really appreciated about him, you know, and I don't, I'm sorry to cut you off, but the idea that he does fight back. He's yeah. not beaten down. This is a guy whose mother literally told him that she should have aborted him, you know? And then there are people – every time he walks down the street to go – I don't know about every time, but at least the time we saw, he goes to, to, get, to go to the store. People are calling his mom a whore and they're trying to beat him up and punk him and stuff like that. And yet he fights back and he always does. So obviously he sees something inside of him, whether he sees himself as a steward and he has to like you know carry the light kind of mm-hmm. 
or if he just kind of it's like a gut reaction where you're like, I'm not going to take this. Either way, he's not beaten down, which is wild. And I think you're right. This dress, nobody wanted it. They thought it was ugly. It was unwanted. Yet he kind of – yeah, he took some affinity to that and he was like, you know, I'm not going to let this thing be beaten down either. But also we've seen how how smart he can be. He's a, a really impressive detective. Like when, when he goes into the comedian's uh, house – and he figures out when we see in the he silent. Figure, he figures out where the sugar cubes are. <laughs> no, not at night, not not at uh, night owls. But when he goes oh. to comedians, and he like figures out where his uh, costumes hidden. And we see in those silent panels like how he's just like really quickly deductive of like, oh wait, I can figure this out. There's something going on with the length of this cupboard, and oh, there's the panel, right? And like he's done some other detective work that we've seen here, and how he's writing in his journal. Like, the person he is that he presents to other people when he's talking to them, he's going, hmm, and talking like Sling Blade and all that. But when he's writing in his journal, he's writing, like, grisly things, but they're very beautifully descriptive and eloquent. Um, it's, it's really impressive. So this, once again, lends credence to this whole metamorphosis. Holy shit. This is a guy who looks like a caterpillar. But inside him is this beautiful butterfly. Call him a butterfly. Right? He's a butterfly. Listen to this. While you were talking, I was – about a third of me was listening. The other (laughs) two-thirds were flipping back. The first word of the entire book, other than Rorschach's journal, October 12th, 1985, is dog carcass. Mm. Wow. And, I mean, look 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 at what's so important here. Yeah. No, but you are right. He does. He does have a beautiful way of writing, and he's, it's always kind of staccato, to the point. It doesn't sugarcoat anything, which is funny because he loves his sugar cubes. But even that, if he's gonna, <laughs> if he's, if he's gonna have something sweet, he's not gonna mess around. No, this he's guy. just gonna have pure sugar cubes. So you really have to respect this dude. He's you know? part fly. He might be Brundle fly. <laughs> he might be, he I, might be transforming I, in that way. I don't know. Is that? That's uh, fly Jeff, Jeff Goldblum. He turns. God, into that was a, the that's fly. an underappreciated movie. That's a great one. Jeez, who his metamorphosis the, was into a fly. <laughs> who was the female character in that? Oh man, I don't know. It's been a while, huh? Who was the female character, the brunette, uh, in the Hulk? Oh, the which Hulk? The the attractive one, Liv Tyler. No, from no Jennifer Connelly. Jennifer Connelly. For in my head, for some reason, when I think of that movie, I think of Jennifer Connelly. I don't think it was her, but if they made a remake. Is she free? She's married to Paul Bettany, uh, who know, plays the Vision in in uh, the movies. So, okay, is the Vision in the movies? Is that the same guy that was the roommate in Notting Hill? Uh, Am I insane? No, you are insane. Okay, that's Reese Evans, right? No idea. Wasn't that the guy who plays? <laughs> We're all over the place here. These I think are, that's the guy way, who like, plays the lizard like, in. Uh, like, I want to play a game called Identify Wafy White Guys. He. That's what I need. He was in a Knight's Tale. With oh, Heath Ledger. Yes. And Alan Tudyk. He was Chaucer. Yeah. He was Chaucer. He's great. God, no. No, he... that was Tudyk. That was Chaucer, wasn't he? Christ. I. <laughs> hey. We are talking about the Watchmen, I think. Well, no. I mean, hey, you know, hopefully our listeners at least identify a little bit with what we're going through. Hey, one thing I do want to talk about is the, the therapist. It's really the only other character that we have through this entire issue. And I think, you know, obviously we see that that Rorschach's – I mean would you say that this is the high-level assess or high-level uh, interpretation of this is that Rorschach's worldview 
will go in and kind of whittle, you know, earworm into somebody and then corrupt them from the inside and rot them from the inside, just kind of like how he's been rotted from the world. I'm of a mixed opinion with the therapist. The the therapist is obviously an opportunist. He is a a jolly old therapist who wants to ogle at – these these creatures in these prisons that are that have sickness and delight his dinner guest friends with the tales of of oddities and fucked upness like he's a uh voyeur right in a way and he likes to just kind of step into their lives glean what he can so he has a great tale to tell at a cocktail exactly um exactly and in that way it's it's gross, and he's he's not the altruistic individual that he might want to think he is. But he is presented with a very fascinating celebrity um, character uh, uh, patient, and it does seem that he's he's not even he he's like patting himself on the back about being great at his job, but he's giving Rorschach tests. To a guy named Rorschach. That seems like so on the nose that I'm like, you fucking asshole. He's out of his league. Yeah. He's out, He's in the deep water now. And it's and only when Rorschach decides that he wants to go ahead and open up to this guy. And he's like, oh, I dare you. I'll go ahead and let you in on my world. Let's see if you can handle it. That it breaks that guy. And something that I noticed too, and I don't know if you 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 saw this as well. He starts off wearing a bright red suit, or not bright red, but it's a it's a red red suit. Yeah. He then at night is wearing a green sweater vest, a lime green sweater vest, and purple pants. At dinner, I think he's wearing a purple suit, and then the very last frame of the book, he's looking at a Rorschach ink blot or whatever, and it's black because he's now you know. Oh, you hit, think hit the, it, the color is fading from him? The color is fading, and it's, he's kind of turning. He's kind of lost his. You know, his nice life he had. And I don't think he's necessarily going to go off the deep end like Rorschach or commit suicide or anything. But now all of a sudden he sees darkness as well. It's not just a nine to five. Then he goes home. Two things on that. Yeah. Uh, you said like this idea of like things going from bright and colorful to black and white. Right. Um, that's the same thing that Angela Abraham, Regina King's character, is saying in the new Watchmen trailer. And um, I, you said that he's not like he's going to go home and kill himself. But you notice the uh, the pill bottle that's there on the newspaper that he's reading? Yeah. And it very specifically says, do not exceed uh, amount or something. Let me see. Do not exceed stated dose. That's what it says on the bottle there. Uh-oh. And there's like extra pills laying about. So I think the implication is that he's suicidal. I think that he's overdosing on pills while staring into the, the blackness. I think that, that in a way Rorschach broke him. Oh, wow. Which does seem a little bit, like, overly dramatic, I would say. But that's been the – hey, that's been that's been the bread and butter of this whole series. Yeah, but I, I guess in a way if you take it into the context that everyone is feeling extreme anxiety about the future of the planet and they're all kind of freaking out in their own way – and this guy maybe is just putting on a smile, and the one thing he has is um, his wife loves him, and he has these cocktail parties he can kind of wow people with his stories about, and he's just lost all that. And What's wild is is that his wife loves him when he gives her undivided attention at all times. Mm-hmm. The first time he wants to stay up a little bit late and work, she loses it. 
I mean, that can't be a healthy relationship. No. You know? Let's talk about relationships. <laughs> In particular, this one, there's there's something unhealthy there. Hey, I agree. Hey, can I, actually, I do want to talk about a relationship between this guy and his line mate – in the kitchen. Oh, or in man. The, in yeah, the mess have, hall, I guess. We got to you know? talk about that scene. Yeah, because well. I think that's, you know, uh, that's one of the few action scenes in the issue, and, and I, I loved it. And it was, again, yet a thing like, okay, I agree with what you're doing. Defend yourself. You didn't ask for this. And it was kind of the same thing as with the mo- with uh, the kids, you know, bullying him and everything else up to that point, other than the dogs. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. There are some pretty iconic scenes from both the comic book and the movie um, one of the most iconic scenes, I think, from the comic book is this image of Dr. Manhattan looking up into space. And then the word bubble above him says, I'm tired of this earth, these people, and they're mindless, something or other. But what's interesting is that's a photoshopped image. It's, it doesn't actually exist in the comic. Wow. Where he's looking up and saying that. He says that in a whole different context, like earlier while like Lori's like, packing the, that line. It's not – in conjunction with him staring up into space and looking like lost and listless in a way, it's like Berenstain Bears. Yeah, <laughs> there's a separate, there's a parallel this universe didn't out there. Happen there? Yeah, no, it's just someone photoshopped it. But also in the movie, um, one of the most famous scenes is the guy who plays Rorschach going, "I'm not trapped in here with you. You're trapped in here with me." To all the all the prisoners. Instead, this is offhandedly said by the therapist. Is like he's retelling that like Rorschach said this to other people. And yeah, so what so go ahead, tell me what you think about uh the whole line cook scene where he attacks him. Well, I just think it was, you know, again, here he is. You see him, he's he's not bothering anybody. He's standing there, he's minding his own business, he's facing forward. He obviously his red hair kind of stands out. So if I don't know if anybody's following along, I doubt it, but it's page 12. And he's just sitting there waiting for his food and all of a sudden he's getting bullied and he's not going to take it. You Not know? only is he getting bullied, but a guy is baiting him, and he has a shiv in his hand. Yeah. So, so the guy's about to shank him. He he knows it. He senses, like, I'm about to be attacked, and he doesn't hesitate. He grabs a pan of boiling oil and throws it in this guy's face and just destroys him. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Looking at the page after this, uh, it's page 13, top left. Yeah. Doesn't inside the coffee uh, the coffee pot, does that not look kind of like Mars? Or something it made Alien? me think of Yeah, it made me think of Dr. Manhattan. You know, I, I don't I doesn't it? Almost yeah. like craters on the moon or something. It kind of recalled that to me. It does. So anyway, yeah, and, and you're right. If you look at the next panel, I don't want to do a panel by panel thing here, but he has two pill bo- two pill bottles open and he's having a huge pot of coffee. And then he says, My earlier optimism was obviously unfounded. He's getting worse. It's like no shit, Sherlock. Ah, oh, dude, you're right. This guy is He's overdosing already. He's like self-medicating probably excessively while also amping up on coffee while ignoring his his family life. Well, thank God. himself into his work. I mean, his wife is awful. You know, I mean. She, she's wearing a remember, pretty frilly thing for him. She's courting him. She wants, she desires him. That's not the worst thing in the world. No, it's not the worst thing, but it's also not the best thing uh, when her love for him is founded only on his devotion to her and dedication at every second yeah do i sound like i'm you know are you projecting yeah exactly i mean jeez i don't know i'm I'm getting angry right now i need to relax (laughs) no but it's 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 obviously this guy's going through a lot and his wife i think as we talked about you know 
a lot of people are are hating New York and they're getting set and they're getting scared and they're fearful about the future. There's all this anxiety about what's going on with, with the Soviet Union or Russia or whatever. And they're just like really concerned about their dinner parties and stuff. You see them dressing for dinner and they wear suits and everything like that. And they're drinking wine and all they care about is just kind of leaving work at work and having sex and relaxing all night and just kind of letting – uh, their fears kind of rest during the day or something like that, right? They're complacent and, in a way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like just willfully. And he's taking medication obviously to deal with that anxiety and he's just shoving it down. And and she obviously is not really even seeing what he's going through. She sees pills open on the desk and she sees coffee and he's dealing with one of the worst serial killers of all time. And all she can say is instead of saying like, hey, how's this going? Do you need to like take a walk? Do we need to do some exercise? Like, you know, I want to check in on your mental health. She just yells at him because she re- she says she requires attention, like she's a fucking car and he's an Audi mechanic. I mean, <laughs> it's it's absurd. It's an unhealthy relationship. Yeah, that, for that's, sure. I, I could have yeah, I could have wrapped that up with that. Uh, so I wanted to jump back though, Rorschach in in prison, and it's not an idea that other people are a threat to him. He's a threat to them. Is such a fun idea. That we end up getting a whole bunch of other comic book characters that go through this exact same thing. Think about um, Punisher. Think about Daredevil. Those both had huge arcs where those guys go to to prison, and they should be under threat of all the people that like they put in there or whatever. And instead, they go on killing sprees or like beating up everyone. Like yeah, in Punisher's case, he kills a bunch of people. Right. In in Daredevil's case, he beats up a bunch of people and. And they're now all hiding from him in prison as well. And, yeah, I mean, it's just – it's so well done here in just a few panels that other comics like – we got that question with last episode that we did uh, for issue five of like what else inspired this? And a bunch – I mean comics-wise, this was a gold mine for other people's long-going stories. Yeah. Feels, feels like. Yeah, for sure. For yeah. sure. You know – question okay i don't know if you're the guy to ask maybe i can try <laughs> why and you, you can you can cut me off anytime you want why would tim duncan one of the greatest power forwards? some people would call him a sinner but one of the greatest power forwards of all time one of the most mild-mannered nba players of all time okay why would the punisher be his hero why would his knee brace be a custom punisher knee brace I don't watch baseball, so I'm not yeah. really no, no. You're you're right. Uh, what draw? I guess here's my question for you because I'm not a Punisher guy at all. What would draw people to Punisher? The Punisher's hyper macho. Okay, it's, it's just dudes that want someone who's hyper macho. They That's want why ra- some is he people, like a Rambo. He's like comedian. He's the it's this very similar idea. It's this person that they idolize. Except for the problem with the Punisher. It's, it's it's always so weird to me, like when cops are like, "Oh yeah, the Punisher," like they like yeah. like kind of like adopting like iconography of the Punisher stuff. Because I'm like, the Punisher would kill cops too. <laughs> he, he, he the whole his, point is he has no rules or limits. He right? would enact his own justice wherever he saw fit, <laughs> and he's brutal. And he was a menace who was subverting the law for his own means. He was putting cops in danger. He's not that hero that you guys are putting on your shirt. I don't get it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you're totally right. Although uh, there was a pretty good uh, Netflix and John Bernthal did a really good uh, rendition of Punisher for the show. And You mean when he was on Daredevil? 
Uh, well, they did a spinoff show just for him also on Netflix. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Um, he was great. Okay, so I, I want to step outside this issue and not towards more famous, you know, NBA, famous San Antonio Spurs players. Sure. But actually thinking about Rorschach, you know, he's obviously driven by the fact that people are killing superheroes and he's worried about it. Right. Right. So what drives him? Like what, what is his moral compass other than, you know, he thinks the world's shitty, right? He wants to strike back at those who are breaking the law because he doesn't believe – remember – and that's the thing. He doesn't believe in gray areas. He believes in black and white. And so remember like there was that one person who had some cancer medication or something and they didn't have a prescription for it? Moloch, yeah. OK. And he was going to turn him in. And he said, well, uh, you know, I won't turn you in today. Should have so, turned him in because Moloch set him up. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, you know – Oh, wait. He, Moloch didn't. He didn't. He got a bullet in the head, though. Yeah, Moloch died, too. So so uh, obviously he believes in that, and so he's trying to follow the law in a way, or infor- not follow it, but enforce the law. Right. But he's particularly worried about the fact that people are killing superheroes. So does he – and is that because he views himself as a hero? And then he also, you know, the problem is, though, that he, in this issue, he also says that everybody else is soft. Everybody else retired. All the other superheroes, they couldn't do it like he can do it. Yet he still has an affinity for him. They were his friends. He says that they were Walter Kovacs' friends at one point. And that Yet, also is an interesting transition because we, we can recognize that the Rorschach before the, the kidnapping case was a different Rorschach because you can look at his word bubbles. And I know I mentioned this to Mike, but um, if you look at his word bubbles before that incident, they're drawn cleanly like everyone else. He talks – like uh, Walter Coe, or when he doesn't have the mask, he talks in the same way. It's a clean word bubble. But ever since that incident, when he's wearing the mask and he talks to people, it is this kind of corrupted, weird, bubbly-looking um, word bubble when he talks. Yeah, rough edges. And him and uh, and Dr. Manhattan are the only two who have the weird uh, text bubbles. And this is post that incident. So – there I thought is. it was just supposed to kind of, you know, indicate that it's gravelly or, or there's or he has a mask over his face. But I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Like you see in the Crime Busters um, flashback, he talks during that and his word bubbles are fine there. But everything after that event, he has the weird word bubbles. So um, Walter Kovacs, uh, yeah, I think like he still has a little bit of a, he has still, he still a has, tether to his friends. He still has to have Kovac inside of him. Yeah, right? I mean, he if, if he cares about his friends. Yeah, he appreciates those friends. Yeah. That's what's interesting. He still has something inside of him. This this is kind of going back to our discussion about Dr. Manhattan, where it's like maybe there's an element of this that, like, just because Dr. Manhattan's telling us that he is completely disconnected from everyone doesn't mean that he fully is. He still has some emotional The fact that he's searching connection. shows that he's a human. It right. shows he has his humanity because somebody without humanity wouldn't even do that self-reflection to figure out what's up. Yeah. Exactly. And, and similarly, like he might say everything's just simply black and white and that's a little bit better for him to cope with that. But he does make concessions. He He – is okay with associating with certain people that he thinks are immoral, but they're also superheroes that are his friends. And he doesn't go up to uh, Silk Spectre if he thinks that she dresses in a way he disapproves of. Right. And he doesn't go and try and, like, break her arm or some shit, right? Right. Like, he he has boundaries and a code, and he does operate in a gray even though he says he doesn't. So, exactly. 
Exactly. He's, he's full of shit, just like the rest of them. <laughs> exactly. And that's why I'm excited going forward. I think, well, was this issue six or seven? This is six. We're at so the we're, halfway, we're halfway point. Okay. Yeah. So we're getting closer to midnight. Um, yes. You know, I mean, I think it's after midnight in real life here in Austin. But, uh, yeah, and that's actually, I think we have plenty of more issues to go. And it's interesting to see where this will go. Obviously, I think one of our readers tipped me off to the, the fact that there's going to be a prison riot. So I guess it's going there. Hmm, I wonder if he's going to escape in that prison riot. Man, you really don't remember. <laughs> I really don't remember. I'm now wondering if I've actually read this. I wanted to make a I was trying to make a point to you a little bit ago and we got a little bit sidetracked from it. This was a while back, but I pointed out when he first got the dress. Yeah, Kitty's it's dress. It's got a frowny face looking ink blot on it. And I wanted to point out how his face looks once he finally has his self-actualization. It is kind of the reverse. It is a super smiley face when he's standing over the uh, the murderer pedophile dude. Wow. And, yeah, it is smiling instead of frowning. He looks like a, a happy clown. And in a way, it feels like he has found himself. He knows who he is after being a person who's been an outcast th- pushed out by everyone else. He He's self-actualized. He's doing what he was born to do. He is. And he found someone who believes in him himself <laughs> wow <laughs> because he's that was two people sweet. it's it's a whole fight club thing yeah uh i don't re- i mean i think i remember that movie okay well they're the same person yeah okay yeah. cool yeah <laughs> i'm gonna spoil that one for you yeah, yeah yeah yeah. no i mean i think that that's actually i did not notice that and sometimes you'll see that when he's looking the the points are separated but yeah there's that really awesome scene on page yeah page 24 it's that, that, and he's splattered in blood, and he does have a huge smiley face on. Right. So that's yeah, that's a pretty sweet find. Also, hey, did you think it was interesting that uh, I thought it was really well done? Whenever he opens up the cabinets and he sees the really shiny uh, weapons or tools or mm-hmm. saws or whatever, like cleav- cleavers. They're or very clean. Yeah, you're kind of like okay, so he's in the right spot. And again, it goes to your point about him being a good detective. You know, because he does the dirty work. He checks the the cutting board, sees there's there's blood on there. Um, also, he's in a place. This building is like an abandoned uh, clothes workshop. So he had his first step in his 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 um, progression toward be- his becoming his his transition, I guess, if, as you will, to becoming um, Rorschach when he discovered that material when he was working at that clothes shop that he worked at for like six years of his life. And he takes that home. He he transforms it into a mask for himself after learning how to even work with the material. He's self-taught. And then when he makes his final transition, it's at this other location that also has these figures on it, these form figures. And he talks about not the burning of the body of the guy he just killed when the flames are going up, but of the, the felt figurines. The felt models for yeah, clothes, yeah. those burning up, and in a way, that had more resonance to him than this body. Like that was, yeah, something kind of emotional for him. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's this this consistent thing. That's that's his. Um, I don't know what I, what I want to call it. His lodestone or whatever. That's like his emotional, like lodestar, lodestar. Maybe that's the term. I'm like trying to Polaris go. or whatever. Like the North Star. Like your guiding light? No, like it's... Or, a, or is there a lodestone? I don't know. Is there a lodestone and a lodestar? I thought it was, it's kind of like this... What about a lone star? It's, it's his lone star beer. 
This is his. This is Natty Light. This is Keystone. Natty Light. Milwaukee. It's the, it's <laughs> I his, don't know what I'm trying to say. No, no, no. I think I think I threw you off. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's all good. Yeah. No, I mean, I think I think his story. I mean, the more we're talking about this, I kind of you know this issue. I think is one of the simpler issues that we've dealt with because it's just. I mean, it's just pretty cut and dry. But at the same time, you're looking at these small details now, like the pills in the in the therapist's uh, you know hand all the time, and he's mm-hmm. taking too many pills. You're looking. You're right. He's at the tailors or whatever, wherever he's working. You know the. I don't know what is it like making dresses or something, right? And you're looking at the fact that it's a smiley face, and then it was a. I like how you keep saying frowny. You've done it two or three times now. Is it's, it frowny? It, it's really cute. Yeah. What, uh, what is it? Frown face? Oh no, I think you're right. I don't know. I think frowny. I think I think yeah, we we can say frowny. But uh, yeah, there's a ton in here, and I'm wondering like how many times did uh, did Alan Moore like revisit everything? You know, I mean, I want to say I would love to see his notes in this. It's pretty wild. Yeah, the the simplicity of the artwork belies what's like the much deeper complexity that's going on with all the Easter eggs hidden in there, the the small details that were very intentionally well thought out. Yeah. So did did the did, I know the movie wasn't well received. At least I think that's true. I don't know. I feel like it just kind of missed out on a lot of the depth and complexity of what's going on. In so here. was there not? Okay, I was about to ask that. A lot what? of people really enjoy it. Okay. For a, it's a good superhero movie. What do you mean by that? Watchmen isn't a superhero book, right? <laughs> it's it's in fact a it's often referred to as a deconstruction of what the superhero books are because it's it's attacking a lot of what what was a problem with those or what would be a problem with those if superheroes exist in the real world. Give me the best superhero movie. The best superhero movie? Yeah. I mean, you've seen them all. I mean, if there's somebody to ask, it's you. I mean, it's it's Into the Spider-Verse, right? <laughs> Is yes. that not the best one? Exactly. But that's it's a trick so question awesome. because that's not even the best superhero movie. That's just the best movie. Yeah, okay. Well, that's not true. Well, it's, no, it's, I'm kidding. It's yeah. all encompassing. It's, it is a, that's, that's an awesome movie. Uh, Thor and uh, Dark World or whatever was <laughs> the worst. So awful. I was that the Thor second Dark one? World. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I saw that. Okay, so what did you think about the Hulk with – what's the little dude that was actually in Fight Club? Edward Norton? Mm-hmm. What'd what did I think of that movie? I, I, love, I love that one. I didn't like it. I mean, I thought it was okay the first time. I went back and rewatched it, and it's okay again. But as far as fitting into the rest of the MCU, I'm like, eh. yeah. But he's like speaking Portuguese or Spanish at the beginning. It's awesome. Remember, he's, yeah. he's meditating. It was Apparently, sweet. It was a his, different take. His director's cut or his his cut that he made. He didn't have Hulk appear until like half over halfway through the movie. Yeah, because he wanted this like long tantric sex build up thing or whatever the fuck. And they're like. Uh, hey, people you know are pay- people are paying to see the Hulk. Yeah, we need the uh, like people want the Hulk, so you have to have it come out sooner, asshole. <laughs> but yeah. he he like threw a complete fit, and that's why he's not the Hulk anymore. Okay, so really, I think uh, really quickly here, most striking most striking frame or page or whatever of the issue. I don't know if you have one. I mean, the dog's head is seared in my mind. The what? The dog's head is seared in my mind. And I mean, for me, it's page twenty three, which when he's throwing the dogs through the window. I mean, that's pretty brutal. That's, uh, and it's just this beautiful, I mean, it's, it's disgusting, but it's this bright red. And then you see the glass shatter, and that's also red. So there's blood on the glass, and then the light's reflecting off that. It, it's insane. And then there's blood coming out of this guy's mouth, because obviously some some glass, you know, I, I don't know. It's wild. Yeah. It's yeah, pretty intense. It, it's really striking. And this, I think in some of the other issues, there was, there were, we had more striking artwork. 
This one, I don't really know. You know, I don't know if I mean it was this one was interesting, you know, because he really stuck to the nine panel thing a lot. I mean, he always does. Yeah, but there's this not one a lot more. of there's not a lot of blowouts because I think, like you'd said previously, it's a much more intimate storytelling. Yeah. So you don't want to kind of deviate too much from that. Like the the few blowouts seem like when he's talking about some big like Keystone pivotal moments in his life, like the time that he worked alongside Night Owl, or when he was at the Crime Busters meeting, or when he first beat up a <laughs> person spray painting who watches the Watchmen. Yeah, yeah. So is a keystone the stone that you put at on the, the corner of a building? The, oh, that's right. The top of an arch. The top of an arch, yeah. So what's Cornerstone the, is yeah, what you're thinking. Oh, yeah. I thought there was another word for it. Okay, come on. Jesus. <laughs> Making me look like an idiot on my own on my, as a guest on your podcast. You're not a guest at this point. Okay, so I don't – did you have any other – did you have any other things you wanted to hit on this? Uh, there's – the one other thing I wanted to point out is – he talks about one of these key moments as a kid yeah. of seeing his mom having sex with this guy and this kind of awoke and he walked down the hall and it was this this traumatic event for him because he his mom's mad the kid the the John hits him the his mom beats him for this but what was striking is we see two silhouettes yeah. we see one yeah. silhouette yeah which is the, uh the silhouette uh the shadow of his mom and this guy making out um, and then we see the silhouette of him and his mom or his mom's beating him afterwards on the wall. And these both reflect the Ink the silhouette the, that's being spray painted now by these right. modern graffiti people. Which uh, comes from the whole uh, Hiroshima thing. Yeah, but of it's the it's these people being intimate at this time where the atomic bomb – could blast their shadow yeah. into the wall. Yeah. Love and war kind of imagery. But when he kills that person, he's in a way killing his mom. <laughs> Absolutely. When he kills the dog. Like that like his his brutality is being directed at that. And that's the split where he's like he becomes this other person who knows now how to kind of protect what Walter Kovacs was. And I feel like Rorschach lived inside of him and would be the one who comes out to beat up the bullies, right? Yeah, or, for but sure. But now he's also the one who is like, I'm just going to take over. I'm taking charge here. Yeah. I'm going to kill your mother in a way, what she represented to you. I'm killing all of that. And that weakness that, and that, that, that let him get hit by his mother and yeah. let her talk to him that way and let others talk to him that way before Rorschach would come out and save the day. He's like, hey, let's cut out the middleman. And I'm just going to let Rorschach take the lead here, you know. Other comics aren't this deep. You know, I don't know if that's true. I think that uh, – A yeah, lot of if, like if, your, your general fair comics. Yeah, sure. And, and, you know, and that's – I don't think – I think I still read comics quite often. I think I, I buy new comics quite often, but I usually buy graphic novels now and they're more of – you know, I'm not really buying like X-Men anymore or anything like that. But you're right. I mean – but was this ever a comic that like – 12 year olds read I, I doubt it um, I, I couldn't see I couldn't see this coming into my house and my parents letting me read this at that age you know what I mean like this probably was always a book for people who were a little older yeah but I feel like a lot of comics aren't like their primary audience isn't skewing so young anymore either yeah that's not yeah right nowadays well I mean okay so and there's they're still not aspiring to this higher art form I mean there are no, you're right. And I think like, okay, like right now I'm reading uh, 
uh, saga, and I'm reading. I think it's called Low. Low. Right. Have you heard about that one? Uh, you've mentioned it. Yeah. Times. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, really deep stories. Real. I mean, as far as saga, I mean, I mean, he wanted to make it a saga, like this intergalactic epic story, which it is, and it's beautiful. But you're right. Looking at the choices that are made in each panel, mm-hmm. I don't think they're as deep. And I think that's why I was like, yeah, I didn't really think there's that much to talk about in this issue. But holy shit, there's a ton, which is pretty awesome. And you're right. I don't think – you know, I think I like other art forms better and stuff. But he's obviously making a ton of editorial decisions and I think he's revisiting the subject material. And obviously, you know, he didn't just do a first draft and put it – and, and have, have them ink it. No. He's, I mean he really looked at it and thought, hey, this is going to be a frowny face as you'd call it and now he's going to be smiling. And that's just a tiny thing or there's going to be extra pill bottles or – you know, and just even little things like the coffee singeing off because he takes the pot off the – he takes the pot off the uh, – what, like the bun coffee maker or whatever and you see the coffee drip down and then singe off the – off you know, because the, the hot coffee is hitting the metal and it makes that acrid, nasty smell. Yeah. You know, and he's doing that. So this guy is popping pills and you can just see him. You, you know what I'm saying? You know when you're stressed out and you're clammy and you're sweaty and you're just kind of like – you just have so much to get done. You're looking at me saying this. Yeah, I do know. I feel it right now. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this, is this, is, to, this is supposed to relax you, Grant. <laughs> this is his magnum opus. You're right. Yeah. It's it's incredible. And I think that's a good place to go ahead and put a pin in this. We are now at the halfway point. So we are going to return for Chapter 7 probably in a couple weeks because uh, I'm going out of town. And that one is called A Brother to Dragons. So um, I'm I'm pretty excited. I think this one's gonna hit a brother a little to bit. a brother to drag in. Oh, or a brother to dragons. A brother to dragons. Okay, and or I think a brother comma two dragons. It's gonna do some night owl stuff. Oh, sweet, cool. Which owls are brothers to dragons? I guess. Yeah. Well, when you get back from uh, your out of town trip, yeah, I look forward to it. Yeah. Uh, folks, we want to say thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Who Pods the Watchmen. I'm Grant, and as always, or as ongoing for now, uh, my co-host is... Clay LaPointe. And thank you, Clay, for joining me. Thanks for having me. Uh, listeners, if you, want, if you want to check us out elsewhere, you can go to our Facebook page, our Twitter page, or... Our Instagram page, which is primarily the one I'm, like, posting a bunch of stuff on all the time. So uh, go over there. Hit us up. You can message me on that if you want to get in contact with us about anything. And you guys can also help support us if you go to patreon.com slash whopodsthewatchman. Make a per-episode pledge. Give us a buck or two. That really is appreciated by us. I want to thank you guys once again for checking out the episode. And remind you to go ahead and get reading on Chapter 7 because we'll be back in about a week or so to dive in and dissect that. And we don't have a sign-off. Should we have a sign-off? You're asking the wrong guy. I'm not really a podcast guy. What should our sign-off be? And something like Yabba Dabba Do? What's the worst one you've ever had? Yabba Dabba Do. There we go. 